I am Marlon Jones, the Career Skills Architect, and this is View from the Big Chair Podcast, Examining the Cost to Be the Boss. The purpose of this podcast is to share information with students in sports administration programs and with young professionals and those who are underemployed in sports administration. We talk with guests who sit in the big chair, those persons who are directors of athletics, who are head coaches, commissioners, or directors of different areas within athletic administration. We learn from their journey, and we also learn what skill sets they look for when they are hiring for positions so that you know how to prepare so that you can get to your own big chair. Today, my guest is broadcaster Sam Crenshaw. And Sam's relationship uh, dates back to in the 90s when we both were in Greensboro, North Carolina, and I worked at North Carolina A&T State University. Sam, thank you so much for taking time to join us. Thanks so much. Always great to talk with you. Great to see you. Please tell our listeners when and how you developed your love for sports. My goodness. It was just, uh, just growing up. Uh, playing everything I could, and then I had a had a father who loved sports and just felt like I should be exposed to him, um, just taking me to see things. It, you know, it's one thing to play a sport. It's different to get the chance to go and see things. So I'm a native of Birmingham, Alabama, and, um, you know, not a major league city, but when major league things would come to town, we would always go to see it. Um, no pro football team at the time, but when they played an exhibition game, um, we went we went, and really went to the exhibition game because it was the Buffalo Bills against the New York Jets. And a guy named O.J. Simpson was a rookie on that team. We watched him on TV every Saturday. But he was out on the West Coast. He was playing for Southern Cal. But here he was in Birmingham, Alabama. No way we were going to miss that. Um, Birmingham was a minor league baseball town. And a guy named Reggie Jackson played his minor league baseball there. So we always went to see him until the A's came to play a exhibition game and they took him away the next day and we know how the rest of the things went for him from that point on so i mean just being exposed to it and uh, moving to atlanta at the time that we did i was in high school um i had a chance to see people who looked like me doing what i aspired to do i didn't see that in birmingham um so it's true as they say seeing is believing uh seeing some people doing the things that, that that you dreamed about doing and getting a chance to meet them and seeing that it's possible. That's the thing that made me really go into the direction that I've gone into for a career for the most of my adult life. Well, all of my adult life, really. Yeah, representation really does matter. You need to see people doing things in order for you to be able to aspire to do them. So walk our listeners through your professional career. Wow. Um, Wow, you don't want to go all the way back to the beginning, but but uh, you know, it's it's one that started basically radio. Um, I always was intrigued with being the voice in the box. You know, that dude that comes on late at night and plays some songs with that music. I thought that would be the coolest thing in the world to do. Uh, but I, I went to work at a, a station all during college that basically played 
the easy listening music, the stuff you hear in the grocery store and elevator. And while that's not popular, it got me under the roof of, a, of WSB Radio here in town, which is also WSB TV, uh, two of the oldest broadcast entities in the Southeast. And I had a chance to get around people and, and meet them and hear their stories. And uh, people took the time to, to invest that in me and help me decide what I, I wanted to do. So I started out on this path to, to work uh, in, in front of a camera, uh, behind the scenes for a while within the CBS station here in Atlanta. Got a chance to go to Augusta, Georgia, and worked for five years there and covered this thing called the Masters that everybody's going crazy about this week. No, Tiger Woods hadn't arrived there yet. Um, there, there were two African-American golfers that were participating at the time, um, uh, Calvin Pete and uh, Jim Thorpe, who was an ex-Morgan State football player who discovered golf and was able to go out and make a living. Uh, playing it. Um, those guys came into the sport different ways than the ones to come in today. And uh, Tiger Woods is a big story, but I've been reminding people this year for the first time, there are three African-American golfers participating in the Masters. Nobody's mentioning that story. Everybody's talking a lot about Tiger, and, and Tiger deserves it. My goodness, this time last year, he was in a bed. He couldn't get out of bed. Uh, but there are two, and, and people asked a number of years ago, Tiger, where are the black golfers? You know, like he's been an influence. Where are they? The, the people ask him at Augusta. And he said that they're coming. They're slowly on their way. You're going to see some play at different levels. Not everybody's going to be a, a Tiger Woods. My goodness, don't put that pressure on them. But there are two. And one is from North Carolina. Uh, Harold Varner III attended East Carolina, is playing there this week. And Cameron Champ, a young man who played out of Texas A&M. Uh, all three are, are playing this week. And I think it's something very noteworthy. So um, I will have been worked there for, for five years, and then I get my chance to come to Greensboro, which was just tremendous for me to work at WFMY and to get with Philip McAlpin uh, for a time host of a program called Black College Sports Today, which I do have a passion for telling the stories of HBCUs. Um, and I'm so excited to see the time coming around when HBCUs are getting their much-deserved attention and some funds and some money. Um, and maybe it took somebody like Deion Sanders uh, with his with his platform. Um, and, and, you know, he doesn't need the money. And so that makes him kind of dangerous to some people, which I like. Um, you know, he can say what he wants and he gets players to want to come and be a part of something that's that's bigger than the game. It's making a statement. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful to see. So I'm excited, especially in the time that I lived there working and covering A&T and the MEAC and the CIAA and that tournament, that great event. And, uh, you know, for the, since that, since 98, I've been here in, uh, in, in, in Atlanta working for a long time for the NBC affiliate, but now doing a, a myriad of things, uh, working for CW69 to start the newscast here and part of that um, 92, 90 game sports radio. So I'm on that radio, people arguing about whose team and why they didn't win. That's, that's a, been a lot of fun. Do some occasional work for City of Atlanta TV, which has allowed me to, to stretch this other side of my brain. And I've been broadcasting for Georgia State. I've been fortunate enough to be a part of a broadcast for Georgia State University. They started the football program 12 years ago, um, and then for basketball on ESPN Plus. So uh, it's been it's kept me busy, and um, I'm enjoying doing a number of different things. And great, you're sharing it with people. Now, so many people watch sport bro sports broadcasters, and they go, you know, I can do that but they don't really understand the skill sets that are required to be successful. What skill sets must young professionals develop 
if they want to be a sports broadcaster? I am um, so glad you asked that question because in this day and age, the, the, this day and age, you don't have to wait for people to bring you inside a station anymore. Um, you have what we have right now. You can you can start broadcasting now. Will people believe what you're doing? Uh, you want to be accurate still. You want to do it with a certain style and flair. And everybody, all the young people I talk to, they all got their eyes on Stephen A. Smith and Maria Taylor. Um, and, and I know Stephen A. Smith. I met Stephen A. Smith while I was working in Greensboro. Of course, people who don't know, he went to Winston-Salem State. And he sat at the end of the bench for Clarence Big House Games basketball team. His words, not mine. Uh, and, but, but even then, he had an idea of what he wanted to do. Now, he comes on with a lot of bombast and a lot of loud talk. And everybody looks at the shoes and the suits. But underneath that is someone that's grounded in his fundamentals. Stephen A. Smith was a writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And last time I checked, Marlon, Philadelphia Inquirer doesn't hire shabby writers. Not at all. So I tell so I tell that to young people at the base of what you see, you know, is someone that's really grounded in his fundamentals. If what you see went away today, what would you see him do went away, he'd still make a living because he could write. And so that's what I, I tell young people, uh, to be grounded in your fundamentals and to be good listeners. Uh, they think I get paid to talk. No, I get, I, I get paid to listen. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? And, and because you, you don't want to misquote anybody. You misquote somebody today. You, you get, you get, you get your shirts sued off your back. Exactly. Uh, you, you misquote people. So listening is important. And also when you listen, you hear that story within the story. I can tell you how many times I went into a story seeking one thing. And by listening to a response, it took the story in a completely different direction, and the story was better. So I would say the fundamentals of writing and and, and listening, being a good listener, are a big part of whatever part of this you want to get it to, be it print, be it electronic, digital, uh, whatever part you decide you, you want to pursue. And what's the difference between a sports reporter and a sports anchor? Uh, sports reporter, you know what? That's that's what I really wanted to be. Um, I, I wanted to be in the field. I wanted to be at the games. I, I wanted to be that person that told people what I saw and have developed the relationships with the coaches and players. Um, and that's what I really wanted to do. I was kind of forced to be a sports anchor when I went to Augusta because there was only one person in the sports department. Um, so I, I, I had to kind of didn't have a choice, um, I, but, but that's what I, I wanted to do and, and shine the spotlight some places where maybe the spotlight wasn't being shined, especially in the minority community, uh, where people say that the media only comes to show bad things. I, I love covering sports with our young people in those communities because it's showing our young people at their best. And I think if we show them doing good things, positive things, even if they're just at the game with their faces painted, they may not be playing on a team, but if they're doing that and it's a positive thing, why not report that and shine that spotlight, you know, on those young people um, and let them know this, that, 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 it, that it is a good thing. Now, so, Sam, I mean, that's, hmm? you mentioned covering minorities and during the NCAA tournament, they had a very interesting commercial which no picture, and it was say, but they had the the audio of a women's championship game, and they were saying that you know women make up forty percent of the NCAA student athletes, but usually they only get two percent of the uh, coverage on TV and radio. What do we have to do 
50 years after Title IX to get that to change. Yeah. Um, you know, do, do, I think we got to do more things to put those images out there. And, and I'm not saying that the people at the schools and the institutions are not doing that, but, uh, but, but simple things um, to get people to, uh, to, to come out and, and see things that, that the women athletes are doing. And we just had a magnificent NCAA women's tournament uh, with a very passionate appeal from Don Staley after she wins the championship about the women's game and about the money in the women's game. And that's the part I, I, I think, I mean, you, you, you know, you talk about people who are going to go out and shop and going to be loyal to brands. Uh, my goodness. I mean, who else would be more loyal than, than to have the, the, the women, uh, uh, the female segment of our society, something that tunes into them and shows them being, you know, successful athletically. If you want to endorse a certain prize product or a certain event, um, it's taken a while. Uh, you have some entities like like ESPN started ESPNW, which has basically been a digital. I'm kind of kind of surprised they haven't turned that into an actual channel. Mm -hmm. You know, I I, I I would have thought that by now they would have. Um, they definitely have enough content. Uh, that, that they show, and um, I don't know why they haven't done that. Okay. But, you know, it doesn't have to be ESPN. It could be any of the other entities that, that, uh, that do it. I think it's nice when you are able to incorporate people who've been successful from that. I like what TNT is doing, especially with their NCAA men's tournament and their NBA coverage, but putting people like Candace Parker on there, I think it's tremendous to have her show that, hey, basketball is basketball. You know, yes. If you know the game, you know the game. And you can't argue with her success and what she's accomplished on Not the court. Not at all. But to have her sit there alongside Clark Kellogg or Charles Barkley or, or, or Shaq, whoever it is, and go toe-to-toe -to -toe and be able to show the knowledge, more opportunities like that, I think, Marlon. Uh, that, but also at, at, at the lower levels as well. Um, you do things to reach out. We just started in this state, girls flag football in high school level. Um, they've had state championships and they televised the state championships just like they televised the boys championships. I don't know how it's treated in other, in other states, but the response has been tremendous. Now, the Falcons, the NFL team, has been a big supporter of it. I, don't, I can't speak for other NFL teams in other places. I don't know what they do, but here in Atlanta, that, that sport has gotten a big boost and the girls seem like they've been waiting on it for years. Uh, no, they're not putting on shoulder pads and helmets, but they have their game. It's like I said, this is the game we're going to We're going to, this is our game of football, and we're going to learn it. And the important thing about that, Marlon, is you well know, when you touch a sport and you play a sport, you can make a living in that yes. sport. You know, you can be a, you can be a, 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 a rep for, for Nike or, or, or for, for, uh, for Adidas. Um, who, who makes that artificial turf? You know, who makes that scoreboard with the video screen in it? Who, who does those things? You get yourself with, and you can work as an analyst. You can be an official. Um, so I, I think those are cool things to remind people uh, when young people get a, young women get a chance to uh, participate in the sport, you can also make a living in it. That changes their perspective, their perception too, because now you have people in the room potentially as decision makers. Don't don't uh, minimize the importance of that, Mar. And you you've been you've been in some rooms 
So you know the importance of being a voice in the room. So um, that, to me, that, that's, a, that's a big way to, uh, to change that going forward. Now, what is the role of the sideline reporter? It has changed a bit. Um, um, the sideline reporter, I think, is, um, my goodness, I, I got a chance to do sidelines for some ESPN2 games. And uh, Mo Davenport, who was one of the highest ranking African-Americans with ESPN for a number of years, um, saw me do a good job and brought me back to do uh, Coach Eddie Robinson's 400 win. Okay. I was on the sideline for that. And that was fantastic. I, I, I got it because we Black College Sports Today, we, we developed a little bit of rapport with ESPN, although that show was shot and produced in Greensboro, edited in Greensboro. Um, it was the Tennessee State Florida and M game in Orlando. And we decided just to go there to give it an out-of-studio look, to go there, hey, this week we're coming to you from. And so uh, the game was going on. So we I, we asked, I said, is anybody doing sidelines? And um, there was no plans for a sideline report. In other words, they said, yeah, you can, but it's not a budgeted position, which means I had to do it for free. And I had to think, and I tell young people this all the time, I had to think, what would I get out of this? First of all, I get a chance to show myself that I can do it. I think I can do it. I proved to myself. I can show them that I can do it. I get a videotape that I get from my resume reel. I said, well, that's a win. Those are all wins. I said, yeah, I'll do it. You know, so they gave me a microphone and a headset and it stormed. Marlon, it's that crazy central Florida rain sideways with lightning and it happened twice they pulled the teams i'm walking around interviewing anybody that will stay still i'm interviewing the, the <laughs> coaches <laughs> referees trainer, anybody that would talk to me i got lightning cracking over my head i got a metal microphone in my hand i'm not even getting paid for this ruined a new pair of shoes but somebody saw it somebody saw the work that i did and invited me to work the game with, with uh, eddie robinson I guess Mississippi Valley to go for its 400th win. And I got a chance to be on the sideline that day, uh, interviewing people like Doug Williams, who would come back to be beside his coach, uh, Willie Davis, who would come back. Some of the Grambling greats were there just to be beside uh, the coach on that day. And he got a phone call from President Clinton. You know, when the game was over, I got paid for that. I would have done that for free uh, to be a part of history. But this is sideline reporting what you do the role of the sideline reporter to me in the beginning is to report on injuries that's the original reason for a sideline reporter it has changed a lot over the years but that's the thing i always did because i think that's the basic fundamental reason that you are there so my main thing was to get to know the head trainer for both teams so if somebody was injured and they saw me coming they knew what i was coming for and they could tell me what the injury was if they will be returning to the game, if they were, or if they were done for the day, that's the, to me the basic reason for uh, a sideline reporter. Yeah, you may have some other things that you may bring, and you listen, you listen for what you hear that you can pass along. I've done it for college and I've done it for pros. The pros, they don't want you quoting stuff verbatim. I did it sidelines for the Falcons for a number of years, and so I had to like paraphrase things that I heard. On the sideline, I couldn't say exactly what I quoted, what a coach may have quoted on the sideline. So I've I, I worked, and I still do sidelines now for Georgia State Radio. Um, you know, you get your interview with your coach at halftime, going in. At the end of the game, you get your interview with a with a with a with a, with a top star player or coach afterwards. But to me, your basic fundamental reason is there is to watch as things change 
if a certain player is gone to be treated, who is the next player getting up and warming up that may go into the game? If you know a little bit of the background of them, and that's what I do now, I try to tell stories. I go to practice during the week. I talk with an assistant coach. Tell me something that's going on with a couple of the guys that are that have been improving over the next over, over the last few games. And they give me some quotes. That's the kind of stuff that I do with sideline reporting these days. But it, it's turned into something, you know, totally different. It's turned into a fashion show. It's kind of turned into a job that you mostly see women do in one of the sports. And, and that's been another way that the women have found their way into college and professional sports broadcasting. Um, but the thing, I think the basic thing to me is to, to be aware, to be a reporter uh, on the game, on injuries, and any changes that take place during the course of the game. Now, listeners, I hope you caught that by volunteering to do a job, he was able to turn that into a paid position later. So sometimes you do have to volunteer early in your career in order to be able to use that to your advantage to show somebody that you can actually do the job and they'll hire you later. Now, Sam, what does a producer do for a broadcast? Producers kind of lay out the um, lay out the plan. Um, you may want to call it a, a run. We call it a rundown as a producer kind of does and what the elements will be for the rundown uh, for the event and how you want to build it. You know, if you were doing a rundown for for a football game broadcast, well, you're going to progress from the top, your opening. You're going to come out with your, with either you're going to come out with the person on the sideline or maybe with your play-by-play and analyst. And that's usually how most games start. Your play-by-play analyst people are going to welcome the people in, tell people where you are, tell people who's playing each other. Here's my broadcast partner. And they will have something that they will, will share about a certain player on the team. Let's look at some of the top players we're going to watch today. You, you, that'll be the next thing you say. Let's look at the record, the matchup between these teams. How many times have they faced before? Uh, you, you, those type, those type things. Uh, you maybe send it down to the person on the sideline. They may have some type of fact that they pass along. And after, by the time you pass those things along, ball's ready to go up in the air. They're ready to get started. Um, you know, you line up certain things. Okay, here's your starting lineups. They come down with those things with the graphics. You know, who are the five, first five guys on basketball or who your offense is on, on football. When the ball goes over to the other side, you do the same thing for that side. Um, it, it, that's kind of what the producer lines up. The rest of the time, you kind of you have certain things you want to interject that you would pre-produce, as we like to say. Um, if the coaches have some a backstory, if they used to be teammates, or if they used to be assistants on the same coaching staff, if there's a relationship between the two of them, you might do that. Uh, if they're family ties, you got a, a cousin on one team, on a cousin on the other team, uh, or anything like that. You may have uh, you build those things in, and at certain times you interject them but the rest of the time as far as the game you kind of let the game play out and just tell the story of, of the game but to me that's what a producer kind of does in the position of a live broadcast you have certain elements you want to make sure and get in at the top and then if there's anything you have to do special uh, when you go to your commercial breaks if you do a live commercial spot uh, make sure the person has that and knows when to read it uh, at a certain time, but that's kind of what your producer does. So it sounds like it requires a lot of research and attention to detail. Yes, yes, it, it, it does. Uh, you don't want to overlook anything. You, you know, you, you want to make sure you, you got the, you're dotting your I's and cross your T's. And the work starts on that early in the week. I never forget 
back in the day, back when I was still working in Greensboro, and get a chance to work in the ESPN game. They would uh, on like Wednesday, I would get this big thick envelope that would come to my come to my apartment, and it would have every newspaper clipping or everything, a copy of it for both teams. So I would have things to study. Now you just go online for those stuff, those things now. It's amazing how that changed. But they would send this massive envelope, and then you you would you know scan through certain things and get your highlighter, pick out certain facts and things you think would be nice to pass along during the game. But, you know, they would supply you with everything you would need uh, to be knowledgeable of, uh, about the games. And that's it, it does require some, some weekly preparation, but people get the hang of it and, and do it. You know, one football game a week. Some people may do two basketball games a week. You may do a game on a Tuesday or Wednesday and come back and do another one on a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, you know, as far as producing or, or even broadcasting them, so that's that's kind of the way you set things up. To me, I, to me, I I enjoy the the, uh, the element of the live broadcast. The preparation for it's different. I mean, I've worked in doing the six o'clock news, and you kind of know how that's going to go every day, unless you know you have something breaking or something urgent. You kind of know how that's going to go every day. But the live sports broadcast, the unpredictability and the spontaneity, that's I, I, I always love doing that. So for young professionals, which do you think is harder to break into, reporting or producing? Um, probably reporting may be harder to break into, producing, and then one can lead to the other. If you want to use one, I know a lot of people who use producing because once again, we're talking about writing. So a lot of people will, will start as a producer, and if they see an opportunity to move into the other lane, you know, they'll they'll, they'll do it as far as as far as reporting. Um, in this day and time, I think it's helpful to be able to done to do a little bit of all of it, um, because the person now is more or less called an MMJ, as we call it, a multimedia journalist, and that's what a multimedia journalist can do. Um, we used to call it one man band back in the day, but they got a nice, souped-up, sophisticated term for the young folk come out of school. Now, you're an MMJ. Basically, it means they're going to give you a little car, they're going to give you a little small camera, um, and you're going to have a laptop, and you're going to go out and shoot your story, you're going to do the interview, you're going to shoot it, you're going to come to somewhere like I am now with free Wi-Fi, you're going to write it and edit it, and push a button and send it to the station. That's how the business has changed. The reporter didn't always get to work with a separate camera person these days. Um, and because that's what the young people are learning um, in school, that's, how, that's second nature to them right now is the, is the electronics and, um, you know, just how to do those things. You know, you got, you got one of these. Some people tell you, you got one of these, you got everything you need. You know, you can do everything you need within that, including edit. Um, so I think that's the thing about it. You can do one thing from a producer and then move into a reporter. You know, I don't think it's a big transition. Now, I hope you caught that. You have to write the piece. You have to video the piece. You have to edit the piece. So the days are gone when they're going to send you out with your own photographer, your own videographer, and someone's going to put it together later. So you've got to develop the skills to do all of those jobs and produce a finished piece. 
that can be used for a broadcast. Absolutely. That, that's a big part of it. And then, of course, there's social media. Let's not forget about that, Marlon. Oh, yes. Uh, because, because they definitely want you to do that. Whatever you do, uh, produce a version of it or a segment of it that goes on Twitter, uh, goes on the Facebook page, IG, uh, even TikTok. Um, you know, that's those are all ways of getting the information to people because not everybody stops what they're doing at six o'clock anymore. Um, people are on the move. And so you got to, you know, the, the trick to the game right now as far as, you know, the, the news programs is to put it where people can receive it when they have time. Um, every, we're living in an, in an on-demand world. Um, and it truly is. And some people are that way. You just put it there. I'll come and get it. Um, and so we, we do that. Back in the day, if you missed the 6 o'clock newscast, boy, I missed the news. Somebody tell me what's going on. Well, you don't have to do that now. <laughs> They're going to put it out there. It's going to be somewhere. But you want to make sure it's from a credible source and a credible and reputable source. And to me, that's the problem today. Everybody's putting content out there. And not everybody is, is betting um, the, the, the content that they put. They want to be first. They want to be quick. They want to do something that's catchy, going to grab people's attention. And sometimes we go for the style over the substance. But that's how we are in life sometimes. Um, so that's the other thing you hope that people will do the things that are necessary so that it is vetted uh, and valid. And it's something that people will trust and want to come back to again and again and again. To me, that's the thing that draws people back to you because that's what you really want. The person's going to come back again tomorrow because um, people are not going to sit down every night at 6 o'clock like they did to watch Dan Rather. <laughs> oh my! People, people not gonna do that anymore. And so you have to make sure that your information is accurate, because once people find out that you're cutting corners and you're using sources that aren't credible, it's gonna be harder for you to get future positions. Absolutely, get future future positions. It's gonna be harder to get people to come back to uh, to you consistently and believe you. Also becomes difficult for you to maintain relationships. And I would tell anybody that's the most important thing in whatever you're reporting is, is relationship. You want to ruin a relationship with an athlete or if you are working uh, in, in, in government, uh, misquote someone and put someone out there that is, that is not accurate. Um, you know, in this day and time, there's already a bit of mistrust of, of media as it is. Um, and right now, Marlon, our concern right now, especially in the sports arena, is reestablishing re relationships with the athletes. We've been separated from them for two years because of this pandemic. We've been not allowed to go around athletes. Um, you know, anything that's been done has been done through this format, through Zoom. Um, the Atlanta Braves last night started their season, I think, as this Major League Baseball season starts. They are reopening clubhouses. They are reopening locker rooms for the first time in two years. I don't know any of those guys in there. And it's been two years. I mean, they just won the World Series. I haven't been able to get close to them, to get to know them. I didn't go to spring training. Uh, we, didn't, we weren't sure when they were going to have spring training or if they were going to have spring training this year. Um, so my thing is, is I have to go out there and, like, relearn, and they got to get to know me. Um, and with baseball, they play so many games. The guys remember who's around the dugout. They remember who's around the clubhouse. They may not know your name, but if they see you every day or every other day or two or three times a week, they're going to remember you. So, you know, you got to reestablish that. Atlanta Hawks had a great season last 
Sure, it's exciting. The NBA has never played a game in June in this city. We had basketball in June. Wow. But we couldn't go anywhere near the players to talk about it. We're telling stories of people that we don't know. Even the team's broadcasters, they were not on the bus with them. They were not on the plane with them. They didn't travel. Remember, we were doing games, watching on TV and calling games from the television monitors, oftentimes not making trips. And so that's, to me, what's going to be the big thing uh, this year going into the fall, too, for football. Because uh, if you weren't vaccinated, I know here the Atlanta Hawks would not let you come to practice if you're not vaccinated. You had to show your Vax card. I had to show the Braves my Vax card, Vax and boosted in order to be be cleared for the locker room. The Falcons uh, tested you themselves wow. before they let you come to a practice. You had to come up to their facility on Tuesday. They would test you and tell you whether or not you could come to practice the next day. It has been very difficult to be near the players and coaches and get to know them. And that's where you get that extra story from. You know, when you get to know them, or it may not always be the guy who's the front line, the star, because everybody has a story. You may go to someone who's the center on a football team or the left tackle of somebody. He's not scoring touchdowns, but he's a story. But if you're locked out of the locker room, you can't talk to him. So it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how, to what degree they allow that to return. Some of the players have probably enjoyed it, actually, uh, not having media in the locker room with them. But I think some of them miss it because as they prepare growing up, they know that's a part of it. That's a part of the job. And so um, I hope that, that uh, we're able to reestablish, you know, rapport with, with, with the players and the athletes uh, so we can better tell our stories. Now, how does one prepare for a job as a play-by-play -play announcer? Oh, uh, and that's something I wanted to do. And thankfully, um, I had a chance to do it. Boy, the, I, I did a couple when I was in North Carolina. I did a couple of CIAA football games. And then I was due to, set to do a sideline for Vanderbilt against Georgia. And about midweek, the guy who was supposed to do the game bailed on ESPN. He had this, something else came up. And Mo Davenport, who I mentioned earlier, says, do you think you can call this game? And, you know, having lived in Georgia, growing up, I knew about Georgia. I didn't know hardly anything about Vanderbilt. Who knows about Vanderbilt football? Um, nobody. Uh, so, but it was the game. And I was working with Mike Golick, who for the longest time did the show Mike and Mike in the morning and just... It was amazing the things that they do to get you prepared. You get the big envelope full of things, and I had to work. I had a short window of time to prepare to do play by play. You put together to me. You put together a sheet with the positions, with the players on the positions, and you, you know, the, the numbers and the names, so that when a play happens, you can point to that person. And you fill that sheet in with different information. You know, hometown, weight, height, hometown. Um, if they're senior junior class, if there's any type of designation, preseason, all-conference, uh, anything like that, and any other fact you find out about them. Father played for Vanderbilt. Or whatever, you know, you, those are other things you can just point out during the course of the game. So that's what I like to do with that. You, and you make it a flip card. You flip it on one side, you've got offense and defense, three teams, flip it on the other side, and it's, it's lined up the other way. I like to do that myself. Some people like to just have it pre-produced, you know, send it out to a print shop or whatnot. I like to write it in myself because it gives me a chance to learn mm -hmm. the connection. About the players. It's my way that I learn 
um, when I call a game. And usually you have a spotter who sits there beside you, and they will point to a certain player, whoever makes the defensive play, whoever, because you got your eye on where the ball's going. The quarterback throws and completes the pass to the wide receiver. Well, who makes that stop? He points to that number, and you just call the number that the spotter points for you. And, and it's, it's a timing thing, too. Because if you have a color person with you, you want to say so much and then back up and give them time to say what they're going to say before the next play starts. So it's a timing thing. And, and, and working with Mike Golick that first night, it's an SEC game, first of all. So ESPN2. So it's a, it's a big deal to call play-by-play on an SEC football game. And on Monday, you had no idea you're going to do it. And by Thursday... And I had to work in Greensboro on Friday. They flew me into Nashville Saturday morning for a Saturday night game. And um, I got all my stuff up there. And I, I just recall something that I heard someone say, a man who has now passed away named Frank Chikinian, who I remember from my days in Augusta, was the executive producer of CBS Sports. He loved Pat Summerall because he said, Pat Summerall could say the most with the fewest words. Emmett Smith, left side, pick up a three, second down. And then John Madden comes in, with a, watch this guy, boom, watch this guy, boom. You know, that's that was their routine, right? And so I said, you know what? I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to say as much as I can with the fewest words. And Mike Golick, his style was like Madden. So it was like shooting fish in a barrel. I just said the basic thing that happened, shut up and let Golick just have fun with the with the replay, and by that time, the team's back up to the line for the next play. I got so many compliments on doing that first play-by-play game. It was it was just, you know, remarkable. It, it couldn't have gone any better to me, you know, to do that. And so I've had some more opportunities to do some. Uh, when the Celebration Bowl started for the first three years, I did play-by-play for the national radio broadcast, which I really, really took a lot of pride in. Uh, an HBCU bowl game, where the teams have a million-dollar payout. Um, that game sold out this year, of course, with Jackson State coming here to Atlanta. But to have done that in the first year, North Carolina A&T has been so dominant in that game. and It pains me. It makes me sad to think that while they join another conference, it takes them away from having an opportunity to play in that game that's going to get so much more visibility right now with the, the rise of, uh, of Jackson State and Eddie George, Tennessee State, when I think they're looking to join the SWAC maybe next year. That would be so, great. It would be great. Um, you know, it's a tremendous time for, for HBCU athletics. And, you know, A&T and Hampton made, made their move. But at the minute they made their move, HBCUs moved. It's a different day now for HBCU athletics than it was when they made those decisions. And, um, you know, the powers that be have done what they've had, they, they've had to do as far as that goes. But um, that's, to me, how, how you get prepared for doing 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 play-by-play, and I enjoy that. Is there any difference in your preparation for a radio broadcast as opposed to a television broadcast? So glad you asked that. Uh, absolutely. Uh, because um, the, the main thing, but going back to Frank Chikinian, the reason why he liked Emmett Smith saying, um, was liking Pat Summerall saying so few words, is that people can see it. It's TV. People can see it. You don't have to explain or describe every speck of grass. You know, people can see it. Radio is different. You have to paint the picture. And so, yeah, I've enjoyed getting a chance to call radio because 
because it challenges you a different way. You know, before the game starts, you're going to describe the uniforms. You're going to say, you know, here comes A&T. They have on their gold jerseys with blue pants, with white trim, with their, with their, with their blue helmets, with the gold A. And here comes, you know, Alcorn State. They're coming in with their purple pants, with their, with their white jerseys, with their gold helmets. You know, you, 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 that seems like a little thing to do. But for radio, that is the difference. Uh, you paint the picture. You describe the, the crowd. You describe the, the atmosphere. If it's, if, it, if it's rain and falling or whatever, you you um, you have to be very descriptive with radio because you are describe, you're describing it for an audience um, that, that cannot see. So, yeah, you shift again. You're still telling the who, what, when, where, why, but you're doing it in a different way because the visual you're having to describe rather than people see for themselves. What types of training do you suggest for young professionals to make them more competitive for broadcasting jobs? Oh, my goodness. Um, go that extra mile. And with sports, I always say be prepared to do that thing that nobody expects you to do uh, or be knowledgeable about that thing that no one expects you to be knowledgeable about. Um, the Masters is going on this week. I've covered that event 21 times. I love covering that. Now, you know, most people would see me walk through the door and say, hey, I'm, I'm a sports reporter, I'm a sports broadcaster. They know that I would automatically think basketball, football, baseball. But I love having that thing in my back pocket that people don't expect. Marlon Nascar was in town a couple of weeks ago. And you, you well know in North Carolina, that's a religion. Uh, when I was there, the two, there's nothing bigger than ACC basketball and NASCAR. And I think it will always be that way, even though Charlotte has the NBA and the NFL. I still think throughout the state of North Carolina and Raleigh has the NHL. Nothing's bigger than ACC basketball and NASCAR. And um, I'm very excited uh, about NASCAR now. Um, you know, what's happened the last couple of years and some of the things that have been promised. And NASCAR, to me, has lived up to it. So uh, to me, you have that something extra in your back pocket, first of all, that people might not expect. Hockey, lacrosse, tennis. You know, have to have that thing that people, don't let people pigeonhole you on sight because they will. Yes. Don't you, you know what I mean? You do that thing that's going to set you off and make you unique and different. And it could be just the fact that you cover a sport that they don't expect you to cover, that you're knowledgeable about a sport, that they don't expect you to be knowledgeable about. And that's what I encourage all young people to do. I, I'm, sadly, I pointed out this week to someone, you know, like I mentioned earlier, there are three black golfers playing the Masters for the first time. That press room at Augusta, the complexion of it has changed very little uh, since I first went to, to cover the Masters over 30 years ago. And you see one or two. Mike Wilbon is down there this week, but he's there simply because Tiger's playing. But there should be more people of color with someone of color who's dominated the sport for the last 25 years. There should be some people who are there every week, you know, because of when someone achieves, it opens the door for all levels. Yes. I don't know if people see that way. And the same is true for tennis. I love to cover tennis. We've had Venus and Serena Williams dominating the sport for over 25 years. There should be so many, you know, African-American tennis reporters and commentators. There should be. Uh, but if you go to a tournament, the complexion kind of hadn't changed. And I mentioned that to our young people. I'm like, I know all y'all want to cover NBA and NHL. 
because that's your comfort zone. That's what you like. But you know what? You could buy a season ticket to go see the, go see the NBA and the NFL with the money you make. You know, cover these other sports. They pay green dollars too. How about that? Um, that's just something I pass along to, to, to young folks. What's been the biggest sacrifice you had to make in order to be successful in this career? Well, that's 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 the, the other part about being in the sports business. As you know, uh, sports happens on holidays. Sports happens on weekends and holidays. And so um, now I tell young people I've, I missed a lot of uh, events. Um, and my family has said they understand, and I, I hope they weren't lying. Um, because I've, I've missed some 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 people's weddings and um, some events you would like to, uh, you know, think of every holiday we celebrate. And practically every holiday we celebrate, there's a big meal and it's a big game. From New Year's Day, you know, to Memorial Day, to, you know, Fourth of July, to Labor Day, to Thanksgiving Day, to Christmas Day. All of those sport, all of those days, we have we sat around either around a grill or around a big table to eat and the game's on that means you probably gonna be working um and, and so that's that's the other side of telling be ready the weekends um we talk about sports during the week but weekends are actually when sports happen so um you know i've geared myself to it especially during football season that's that's been basically life you know friday night high school football is so big and we did a great show myself and, and mike hogwood up in greensboro on friday nights um we send cameras out to cover 15 16 games and uh, it was a big happening um the stations sold it out the, the viewers got used to it and would watch for it on friday night and it continued here here in atlanta uh, on Friday. So you put a lot of effort into Friday night. You spent the week preparing for that, uh, just like you would any other type broadcast, um, that, that segment. And then come Saturday, you got college, which is just as big. And, you know, in Greensboro, you know, you're, you're there, but the, the college teams that people want to hear about are either in Winston-Salem, Chapel Hill, or Raleigh, or Durham. You know, also, they want to the AC, from the ACC team, so you got to cover them in town you know, you had A and T at Winston Salem State, and then they added football at at Gil at Gil, well, they had it at Guilford, but they added football at Greensboro, um, and and Elon, and you tried to get cameras out to all those places on Saturdays if you could, um, you know. So that that was the, the the different challenge of it, and then Sunday, you know, the NFL, and that's that's a whole different animal, and I was. You can say I was in North Carolina at the time that the Carolina Panthers were born. Um, covered that for that first season. They played the games at Clemson until they got the stadium done, you know, in, in Charlotte. And so um, that was the other thing. And Monday is basically a recovery day. <laughs> it, it, it really is. That's what it's kind of turned to. But but if you're going to work in this, to me, that's the, the sacrifices. You're going to you're going to work some holidays. I had a bad joke. I was telling with someone in Detroit. Uh, Detroit plays Thanksgiving Day every year, and I always say, "Why they're they're so bad?" Uh, and we had to go one year because I was working with the Falcons crew for about 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 five six years. I was working with the Falcons crew, and and which is a neat experience uh, being on the road with the NFL team. And these were during the years of Michael Vick too, so that's just 
that, that was like traveling with a rock band, uh, traveling with the Falcons when Vic was on the team. The people in the other cities couldn't wait to see him. But we go to Detroit for Thanksgiving Day. And I know I'm leaving a great meal back home with family to go on the road. And I'm in this press box and they feed us a meal and some cold pumpkin pie. And I'm watching the, the sorry behind Detroit. Line. I was like, what could be worse? On Thanksgiving Day, I'm in Detroit. I'm watching the sorry Lions, and, I, and they're feeding me cold pumpkin pie. And I was like, it's just awful. But just like I said, you you are you are make sacrifices, and oftentimes you'll be away at, at, at times. But that's that, that comes with the job. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to a young Sam when he started his career? Ooh-wee. Wow. Oh, man. That's a good question. Um, because I like to think I did the things to to try to fact back. I mean, I asked, I asked the question. The way I ended up in WSB radio during my college years was a career day. And that's why if any school invites me to come to a career day, I do my best not to turn them down. One, because my mother was a, was a teacher, was an educator, so to, to honor that. But also, it was because someone who looked like me came from WSB to, uh, to visit our school down on the south side of Atlanta. And I had an interest in just being a camera guy. I thought it'd be cool to shoot a camera guy. You, you, go to, you get to go to the games for free. Matter of fact, you get paid to go to the games. And of course, I had ulterior motives, Marlon. And the camera guy, the cheerleaders love the camera guy. They always wanted to put, put us on TV. I was like, yeah, I get some phone numbers, something out of this. <laughs> so I mean, I, I, that's what I, I really wanted to, to, to try to do. Uh, I wanted to be on the other end of the camera. Um, but but I, I asked the question. And that's the thing, I think more than anything, while he was there, I raised my hand and I asked the question. And so many times our young people are reluctant to do that. They want to be cool. They don't want to stand out from their friends or whoever they're with. They don't want to do that thing that makes them a little different. So if their friends aren't asking a question, they won't ask a question. And it could be someone with some information they could use uh, to help them get to where they think they want to go. So uh, when the time was there, I, I asked the question. Um, and it resulted in me going on a tour of WSB-TV. Uh, around this time of year, it was May. All I'm thinking about is graduating from high school. I visit this station, and before I leave, they say, you're going to be going to college not far away. I went to University of West Georgia, which was West Georgia College back in those days. It's like an hour outside of the city. I said, yeah, I'm going to be going to West Georgia. He said, do you want to fill out an application? Sometimes we have part-time jobs for college students. And honest to goodness, that's how it started. I didn't, you know, they took the application and they kept it. And in November that year, I'm a broke college student, and my mom calls me at my dorm and says, hey, you got a call from the station today. And I'm like, what station? Fire station? Train station? <laughs> I forgot not to fill out that application. Um, but that's how it started for me. And from that point on, every, each and every weekend, I was spending my Saturday and Sundays under the roof of that building. So I, I can't think of anything... I think the greatest thing for me was that my family migrated from Birmingham to Atlanta. Had we stayed in Birmingham, I don't know if I would have seen the things that I saw um, that made me think that it might be possible. And um, asking that question, 
I, I think was was the, the, the biggest thing, and that's what I would recommend to any young person. If someone is there that's talking about something that you're interested in, do not let that person leave um, without speaking to them or getting a contact information, an email address, or a Twitter handle, or Facebook, or an IG. Um, you know, you may not want to talk to them then, but get the information and then reach out to them uh, through social media. Uh, but don't miss that opportunity. What motivates you to keep working in broadcasting? Uh, this pandemic. Uh, you know what? I didn't aim to be a, an anchor. I wanted to be a reporter. And I wanted to be a, in a position to evolve um, because the business evolves. It's changed. The equipment that was used when I first came in is obsolete now. In principle and in theory, you have other things that have replaced it that do it more efficiently and more cost effective, but they're still doing the same things, learning how those things work um, and seeing things evolve from you got to watch it live to being on demand and from uh, just over there broadcast to stream. Um, and, and, you know, it's evolved to meet the needs, you know, uh, of the public in different ways. So I think, um, first of all, I felt like I was, getting into something that I could spend a lifetime uh, learning and improving on in different ways. But thanks to this pandemic, my goodness, I, I don't know when I will stop doing this because thanks to like platforms that we're using right now, if I want to do an interview with someone, they have five minutes on a laptop, I got a story. And the way it's produced and put together, the public has totally been receptive to it. You kind of haven't had a choice. Um, people have set up studios in their home, even people from local TV. I asked the lady once, I said, so what do you think of the way the news is doing now? People are at their houses. And she says, you know, I think it's a little bit better. She said, it, 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 it made them seem like, I guess, your next door neighbor, a regular human being. And you didn't know if the cat was going to jump up in their lap or if the kid was going to unplug the lighter while they were, while they were on. Um, you know, we all have become fans of reality TV in one way or the other. So I guess that it gave it a little bit of that feel. So considering where we are, the, the newscast that I work with now, Marla, um, with the CW station, which is owned by CBS Network, I'm going to be sitting at a meeting with CBS executives next week as they look to develop this news project that started right before the pandemic. Uh, I, I record a sports segment. That's about three minutes worth of sports. And you know, if you watch your local news these days, they've really diminished the time they give to sports these days. They feel like people are looking other place for the sports information, um, which I which I re regret. Obviously, that's been something I've been passionate about. But it, to me, it, it forces us to be more storytellers than just highlights. If people want to see highlights, you can find that all over the place. The difference is the stories, and that goes back to being back in the locker rooms um, that, that we were able to do. So. That's the, the main thing I would say because of the way we're doing things now. I record my segment. The news and weather people doing a newscast for Atlanta. The news and weather people are in Dallas, Texas. They're not even in town. Um, we got two reporters in Atlanta. And the way things have gone during the pandemic, any entity made what they did available to you. If you could make it to a press conference, they videotaped it and it was on a video link. So anybody could get access 
to something if the governor of Georgia was doing something. Well, the state of Georgia knew people couldn't come in there where the governor was saying things. So they would videotape it and put it at a place that you could take it and take an excerpt from it and use it for a newscast. That's how they've done this. And it's unbelievable to be on a newscast with people that I do not know, people that I have not met, um, because they were in another city. Um, so I, I think in the, in, in the future, they are going to want to have people here in Atlanta who serve in the anchor roles and weather roles, uh, because the station I work at right now is not physically set up to do a newscast. We, we just got a room with a green wall. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it tells what we can do because of the technology uh, and, and the, the way that things have evolved. And like I said, because this pandemic, people are used to seeing interviews done via Zoom or similar platforms. It's no big deal anymore. If Barack Obama has five minutes and a laptop, I can get an interview with him. Um, think about it that way. Yeah. Um, so it's something I could see myself doing for as long as I wake up in the morning, uh, and, 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 uh, and enjoy We've been, we've covered games. We've got a way, a way to cover games without even going to the games. You watch the game on TV. You went to a zoom after the game and they brought the coach and the players in and set them in front of the camera and you asked them questions. That's how we've covered games for the last two years. And so, you know, We'll, we'll see how much of this leaves as the, the pandemic subsides and then how much of it stays in the place. Because remember, it's cost effective. You're using fewer people. Uh, so people are saving money while they do this. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. So as we use fewer people, you have to make a way for yourself to stand out. And we just thank Sam so much for his knowledge and his wisdom. Sam is an Emmy Award winner for his broadcasting talents. And I hope that the notes you take from this can help you as you continue to aspire for your own big chair. Thank you so much, Sam. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Always good to see you. All right. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that the notes you took from our guests will help you as you plan and build your career. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. View from the big chair, examining the cost to be the boss. I'm your host, Marlon Jones, and I thank you again for listening.